morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. Today is the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Next Sunday, we move into the first Sunday of Lent. And on Wednesday this week, we will observe Ash Wednesday. We will begin live streaming on Ash Wednesday. And so we will not be able to impose ashes this year, but we will be able to celebrate communion together. On the Sunday that bridges these two seasons, we pray that you will find this transition a meaningful one. Let us pray responsively our call to worship. Lord Jesus, preaching good tidings to the people, proclaiming release to the captives, setting at liberty those who are bound, we adore you. Lord Jesus, friend of the outcast and the poor, feeder of the hungry, healer of the sick, we adore you. Lord Jesus, denouncing the oppressor, exposing the hypocrite, overcoming evil with good, we adore you. Lord Jesus, pattern of gentleness, teacher of holiness, prophet of the kingdom, we adore you. Lord Jesus, dying to save us from our sin, rising to give us eternal life, ascending to prepare our heavenly home, we adore you. Almighty and loving God, you love the world so much that you gave your only son to be our savior. You allowed him to empty himself of his heavenly glory and become a suffering servant. Yet by your grace we have beheld his glory, such glory as befits the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Amen.
from the shadows into your radiance. By the blood I may enter your brightness. Search me, try me, consume all my darkness. in the opening prayer. God of the covenant, we who stumble and fall so often worship you, longing for your light to shine upon us. Dazzle us with your holy love. Draw us into your purifying presence. Speak to us your transforming truth. Then grant us grace to live every moment changed by such glory daring to live with hope and courage and love, reflecting the life of Jesus, through whom your glory shines in the most unexpected ways. Amen. Good morning. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children for our children's time this morning. Today is a special day in the season of Epiphany. It's actually the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany. It's called Transfiguration Sunday. And on Transfiguration Sunday, we hear a very puzzling story. It was pretty puzzling for the disciples, too, who were there to witness it. Three of them, Peter, James, and John, were there. And Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountaintop. And when they get there, all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear. Elijah and Moses representing the, the prophets and the law. And um, the puzzling thing about that is that Elijah and Moses had died centuries before. And yet, 
here they were on the top of the mountain with Jesus. And to make things even more surprising, suddenly a cloud surrounds Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And there's a big booming voice, the voice of God that says, This is my son, my beloved. Listen to him. Those words, this is my son, my beloved, are the words with which we actually entered the season of Epiphany. They were the words God spoke at Jesus' baptism. And now they are spoken again at his transfiguration. Well, the disciples have no idea what to make of this experience. Not God's booming voice from the cloud and not the presence of Elijah and Moses who had died centuries before. They just, who would know how to make sense out of that? They had no idea. And so Peter tries to make sense out of that. He tries to, to containerize it. He, he says, Lord, let me make a dwelling place like a little hut, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. He just wants to hold the moment in sus suspended animation. He just wants to freeze frame the moment and he wants to put it in little boxes so that he can try to understand it. Um, the text says that he was terrified and he really didn't know what to say. I can imagine that. But, um, but what I like about that text is that I think it is what we all tend to do. We all tend when we are confronted by an experience that is new to us to try to break it down into little pieces so that we can understand it. But one of the things the text tells us and one of the things that the disciples come to understand is that sometimes God just wants us to live with the mystery. Understanding it isn't going to make living with the mystery any easier. For example, do you need to understand a rainbow before you can really appreciate the beauty of it? Do you need to understand love before you can appreciate the feeling of being loved? There are so many things that you just can't compartmentalize or break into little pieces so that you can understand them. Beauty is another thing. It, beauty is different for everyone. Love is different for everyone. The experience of God is different for everyone. And living into the mystery of that instead of trying to break it into little pieces enables us to have a broader experience of those things, of those mysteries. In them, God says, sometimes we'll find him. Thanks for being here this morning. May we prepare our hearts to receive God's word to us this day. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in the second chapter of 2 Kings, beginning with the first verse. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. 
Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Yeah. 
Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Every year I struggle with the text for Transfiguration Sunday, partly because I've never experienced anything 
like what the texts describe, but also I almost feel uncomfortable even knowing about it. It was such an intimate encounter between Jesus and a trio of his disciples with dramatic cameos by Elijah and Moses and the booming voice of God coming down from the heavens. I find myself wanting to respect their privacy and not just because the actual event as recorded doesn't resonate with any of my experience at all. Not at all. In a way, the story of the transfiguration makes me feel like a theological contortionist in the pulpit, playing twister with the odd picture that the story describes. Right hand, white cloud. Left hand, green mountain. Right foot, brown valley. Left foot, dark circle, foreshadowing Lent. Why are we given the story right now at what should be the, the zenith of the season of Epiphany? At what is the threshold into the season of Lent? Once at a district training event that took place the week before Transfiguration Sunday, I asked many of my fellow colleagues, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And Almost every single one of them responded by saying this, I'm having a guest preacher this Sunday. They were kind of sheepish about it, and I would decry their efforts as completely lame, if not for the fact that I made a mental note to myself to come back to my office, look up the date of next year's Transfiguration Sunday, and issue a very early and heartfelt invitation for someone else to preach for me then. When I am perplexed by a text, I think back to my preaching classes in seminary. Fred Craddock, one of my preaching instructors, was a big fan of following the form of the text. So if the text told of a teaching moment, then he said your sermon should be a teaching sermon. If the text took the form of a letter, do a sermon, he said, in the form of a letter. Allow the text to shape what you do in the pulpit, he said. So back to the text I went. What stood out for me the most was a part of verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen. Well, I thought to myself, I can do that. I can stand up on Sunday morning, tell no one anything, and sit down again. After all, that would be faithful to the form of the text. I must have fantasized about this for a full five minutes. But then I resolved to really work with this text and wrestle with why this narrative is given its very own special day every year, Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday of Epiphany every year in the Christian calendar. I've heard this text preached on many times and so often as a mountaintop experience, a faith high that is meant to sustain the disciples through the difficult days ahead, the journey to the cross, and to sustain us as we anticipate doing the same during the season of Lent. The thing is, if it were a mountaintop experience, why are all the disciples described as being terrified and disoriented? Somehow I don't think this mountaintop experience was a, a faith high. I also puzzle over the strange and unreal imagery. 
Is one to take it at face value or to think of this text as a literary bridge between the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus? For the original readers of this text, the connections back to the prophets of the Old Testament, I'm sure, came right to mind. The high mountain and the heavenly voice from a cloud would have transported them back to the call of Moses on Mount Sinai. The brightness of Jesus' clothes would have reminded them of the divine courtroom scene in Daniel, where earthly empires are put on trial. Both Elijah and Moses beheld the glory of God on mountains. During difficult times, and according to Jewish tradition, both ascended to heaven at their deaths, just as Jesus will be raised and vindicated by God. Clearly, their presence in this scene places Jesus' mission, Jesus' identity, and, and uh, his correlation of their lives with his, although his destiny will entail the conquest of death. Because I find this text from Mark somewhat baffling, I draw comfort from Peter's response to what the text describes. At first, he is so terrified he cannot speak. Then he seeks to compartmentalize the experience. It doesn't make sense, so he tries to put it in three nice little boxes, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Perhaps if he can understand each in their own little cubicles of theological thought, he can figure out the puzzle of their interrelationship. But before anyone responds to this planned building project of his, a cloud overshadowed them, the text says, and from the cloud there came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Instead of compartmentalizing this experience, God simply tells the disciples to listen to Jesus. But, but listen to what? The, the, the voice from the cloud doesn't share any new information. Instead, the voice directs the disciples' attention back to what they have already seen and heard from Jesus, who predicts his passion, who teaches about the necessity of taking up the cross and losing one's life for the sake of the gospel, and tells of the second coming. The thing is, the disciples don't get any of these things. And as Mark's gospel proceeds, they seem to understand these things less and less and not more and more as Jesus moves toward the cross. This text is found right in the middle of Mark's gospel, halfway between Jesus' baptism and his resurrection. For us, this text is located each year on the Sunday between the season of Epiphany and the season of Lent. Jesus is halfway there on his journey, and we are halfway there too. Mark also places the transfiguration within a section of the gospel that begins with the 22nd verse of the 8th chapter and continues through the 52nd verse of the 10th chapter that weaves together teaching and healings focused on sight and on blindness especially the, uh, the disciples' own blindness and resistance to Jesus' teaching concerning the cross, 
that awaits him in Jerusalem. But why is the story told against such a canvas of blindness and misunderstanding? And could it be that this story is meant not just for the disciples who were there, but for any follower of Jesus struggling to see, hear, and comprehend the reality of the gospel story? For me, the key to this text did come. It came in a musing on this text by Jan Richardson, author and artist, who talked about the word overshadowed as it appeared in this gospel lesson. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. The word for what the cloud does, overshadow, comes from a Greek word that is used only one other time in the Gospels, Richardson explains. It appears in the angel Gabriel's conversation with Mary when he responds to her question about how it will be possible for her to give birth to the child whom he has asked her to bear. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the angel Gabriel tells her, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Perhaps that word, overshadowed, unlocks this text. By connecting the transfiguration with the Annunciation to Mary, we are reminded that we cannot contain or compartmentalize God the way that Peter sought to do. Because when God shows up, God often appears in and through people. As Richardson says, God opts not for architecture, but for anatomy. Or rather, God makes architecture of our anatomy. God seeks to make of us a dwelling. God seeks to make of us a habitation for the holy. God knows that being host to the divine is no easy thing. And it's interesting that what follows this overshadowing for Mary and for the disciples in today's gospel text is precisely the same assurance. Do not be afraid. As each go on their way, carrying something they had not previously known, although that looks nothing like certainty, they go with the words, do not be afraid. In other words, this text doesn't solve the puzzle. Jesus talking about his passion, about the cross, while recorded in Mark's gospel, Mark pretty much leaves these themes alone and doesn't talk about why they are necessary. That remains undeveloped and unexplained, a mystery that is, is hidden in the mind of God. Mark refuses to play theological twister, to be a theological contortionist. The transfiguration, while it's this bright, shining moment, isn't one of blinding clarity. And yet, for the disciples, it was an experience that would continue to work on them, to shape them, and to transform them. The voice from the cloud telling them to listen to Jesus, even as he told of his suffering and death, even as he told them things that they did not want to hear. In fact, it would alter every future encounter they had with him. It was a story that they didn't tell for a long time, probably much longer than the nine months Mary's revelation took to work its way to full expression. For us, in this in-between time, at the end of the season of Epiphany and before Lent, 
perhaps we too are being asked to hold on to this story with all of its oddities, to let it shape us, to walk around in us, and help us to, to make sense of our own stories and how they equip us to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. It's not easy living with ambiguity. It's not easy being a holy habitation for God who does new and surprising things in and through and around us. I still like Peter's desire to compartmentalize, but this story tells me that such constructs won't serve me as I seek to serve Jesus. The story beckons us instead to live into the mystery without being afraid. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Christ in my rising light of my 
And now may you go forth to love and to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.